Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different, and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you can let me know your thoughts on the new format, and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that is at the Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Obviously last week we talked a little bit around the role of the goalkeeper. I had some different perceptions, different perspectives on what that looked like. Obviously, from the insights that you shared around your experiences currently working over, over in the States with the MLS uh, Academy setup. Um, and obviously, Tony jumped in for a few few insights of his and obviously I've had a few insights of myself. So there is no right way, one way to do it. Um, so let's move on to the approaches on goalkeeping training. Like, what's your experience been? Yeah, I think it's good to recap some of the stuff last week. Is in order to know what we're doing, we should really know the the history behind everything, shouldn't we? So, if you, a big part of last week was understanding the past to understand the present and the future, right? So, you know, the, the role of the the goalkeepers changed a lot. I mean, if we look in the 1900s, goalkeepers began wearing a different coloured jersey to distinguish themselves. And then, you know, around 1930, goalkeepers could handle the ball for any purpose within the penalty box. In addition, they'd be allowed to take up to four steps while carrying it. In 1992, the goalie was no longer allowed to use uh, hands-on back passes. They couldn't uh, pick up the ball. And how that changed the game and then some other role changes. And I think since what we've seen of the, the functionality of the role and the position and how it's evolved from even the 80s to now, it's it's different, right? And I think that's probably, you know, it's, it's quite interesting that the terminology we're using here, traditional approaches, because often a lot of the, the coaching, the contemporary coaching that exists, is perhaps based on past assumptions of, of how the game was played then and also how people viewed games. You know, typically coaches coach the way they have because of a lot of tribalism you know and certain socio-cultural influences and and the ways that basically in plain English well that's how it's done or that's the assumption of how it should be done uh, without necessarily challenging well why do we do it that way 
And that's where I lead into that statement of I watch a lot of coaches and typically if you're asking me, you know, what's the approach, I would say, hey, people with a ball in their hand, smashing balls at keepers, volleys out of the hands, maybe throwing the ball underarm or overarm. Um, yes, there'll be some coaches that will try and manipulate stuff, you know, and the, there's a lot of gadgets and technologies now. And we can go into that, right? Where there's machines that will shoot balls out. There's machines that will, or t- equipment that will create rebounds or deflections. There's stuff that people have put on the floor where if they strike a ball, it'll bobble off and it'll create a different effect on the ball in terms of the direction of where the ball's going to influence and with the rationale being that that can influence how we save that shot or reaction or dealing with different flight. I think we have to factor in like the balls have changed a lot since back in the back in the old days. You know, the balls do travel at greater speeds now and they can change direction quite quickly and very late. So obviously that makes the job of the keeper incredibly harder. Um, with that said, a lot of traditional coaching tends to be from a stationary position or it tends to be coaches running, uh, sorry, goalkeepers running through cones and doing quick feet or touching this bib in this top corner to get across the other side of the goal, dealing with mannequins, dealing with, you know, balls from a stationary position where it's like a PK or a free kick and someone's levering a ball at them. And if anyone wants to challenge that, Watch any warm-up on a match day at any level, up and down any country, and you'll see the goalie coach just smashing balls at the keeper or smacking ones in for him to catch and volley out of his hand somewhere. You know, But that's typically it. Now, I would argue, what about if we were to view the role of the keeper and actually, what do they have to do? They have to make decisions quite quickly, but in delayed responses to things. So they've got to be able to show concentration for long periods of time where they might not actually see a lot of action. Then all of a sudden they do. Um, The ball is moving. You know, if we start there, if we think about what does the game look like and then what does their game look like? If it's 77, 9v9 or 11v11, whatever stage and phase you're working at, that'll influence a player's running with the ball to score where they're typically taking a lot of dribbles to score and a lot of touches. Is it older, where they might be trying to finish with a first-time shot or shoot through bodies, shoot in between legs, shoot under people, use players as a as a blocker for the vision of the keeper, so they're shooting around bodies um, to block the vision and the shot. What is it? But the difference is it all it'll come from some kind of a pass, some kind of a moving ball, a touch, And then what's the trigger for them to decide, do I come out, do I not? And I think that's where, you know, if we go back to this contemporary traditional view of a lot of coaching goalkeeper, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, Yaz, because you've gone through the pathway yourself on the goalkeeping side as well. I see a lot of practices like that. And I've worked in Morocco, I've worked in the UK, I've worked in the United States and some other countries. I've not seen many. There are some, like Fabian Otte, who's now uh, the national director, national head coach for the the men's side with the national team over here. He used to work at Burnley and worked at uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. He's more down a skill adaptation, ecological movement, the ball approach. I've seen some stuff from Anthony White and kind of Tim Dittmer where there's probably a bit more variability in the practice design and selection. But I do see a lot of stuff where it's very much static balls, a lot of movements, a lot of prescribed techniques to solve a problem when we could go down the world of, well, actually, 
what does the textbook tell you about a save? And actually, if you look at the game, there's a lot of saves what players make in the moment that if it goes outside of what the textbook says is the correct way to do it. But they stop the ball going in the back of the net. And also, that is one of the fundamental roles of the keeper, which is to goal tend the goal, protect the goal, right? Because they're the only ones that can use the hands. So I do think it's interesting. It's, it's something that I'd love to unpack with you. Yeah, I think there's a lot in there. Um, my initial <coughs> my initial thoughts take me just to my own experiences around what it looked like to be a goalkeeping coach, if you like. And it's something I'm big on. And I, I guess maybe my journey's been slightly different because, you know, yes, I've gone down the pathway of working with goalkeepers. Um, still got some experience working with goalkeepers currently. And it's one thing I've always said is I'm not a goalkeeping coach. I'm just a football coach. Um, with an understanding of how to work with keepers as well as the outfield players. And I think that was probably the initial driving force. I think it's really important to identify that this topic isn't just for goalkeeping coaches, it's actually for coaches as a whole and how they can actually look to integrate the goalkeepers into their sessions because they might not have the, the luxury of having a goalkeeping coach necessarily. Um, so I guess you know the, the challenge I've always put out there is why do we need to bring goalkeepers into the outfield sessions? Why can't it be outfield players into the goalkeeping sessions? And with that in mind, I've I've kind of, you know, probably early on in my journey, I probably did do some of that static kind of delivering. It was just like, it just didn't sit right with me. It's almost like, well, if we want players to respond to cues and triggers, then surely we want the goalkeepers to be able to do that too. And if they're constantly working off set patterns or set services or particular um, routines of service, if you like, then are they really learning? I mean, yes, they might be able to apply repetition of technique, but actually... I could strike the ball twice in a row. You know, you could get probably the best player in the world to strike the ball twice in a row. It's probably not. It's not going to be the exact same, is it? So, what are they really repeating, and what are they really getting with repetitions of? So, I think <clears throat> from that perspective, it's always give them some give them some variables to work with, set set them some challenges. You know, in in achieving those outcomes, if you like, and let them come up with with the process and how they achieve it. So, yes, there's going to be times where it's going to be a, a, a poor service or a mishit shot. Well, you, st you still need to get your position right. You still need to get your bits around that right. You still need to get your bearings right in terms of, well, actually, yeah, it might be going slightly wide, it might be going very wide, but how, how well prepared were you for the initial shot in the first place? And I think these are the little things in terms of cues and triggers that you can start to support the goalkeepers of understanding, right? Um the inconsistency of service, you know, obviously there is a argument for repetition of particular techniques, but quite rightly, like you said, oh, in the heat of the moment when the game's going on, how often are they actually thinking about, oh, I've got to do this in the perfect technique, or as opposed to, I've got to keep this out in the net. So I think it's probably just reframing for them what what is their what is their purpose in the game. And yes, there might be some ideal techniques which could support you in achieving those, but those ideal techniques, as I always say, are are in response to another technique. Um, so those are kind of my initial thoughts and views, and I'm not sure if you've got anything you can expand on or, or dive in deeper on. I think you, you, you're spot on. I, I, I find it interesting that goalkeepers have these specialist coaches that work with them, and they're working with them for quite a lot of time, right? And there's that early specialisation and they're getting all this feedback, so they're getting a lot of dependency from the the 
goalkeeper coach and they're getting prescribed certain techniques and movements to stop the ball going in the back of the net. But how much of that environment reflects the actual environment that they're in? And that's where I think if we were to look at, you know, goalkeepers being able to have discussions with the coach around the practice selection, the choice of the activity, how they're going to solve the problem. You know, I was watching this conference presentation with um, Craig Morris, and obviously he's not a football coach or a soccer coach, wherever you're listening from. He's an Olympic slalom canoe coach. But what I found was interesting, he used this phrase, uh, planned but not uh, prepared but not planned. And he talked about how he impacted it. And he said he's, he's got planned intentions. He's prepared in the sense of, here's what I'm thinking of doing today. But he'll actually offer the the choice. And he'll invite, he'll offer invitations to inquiry. He'll, he'll invite questions from from the players, from the athletes, to say, how do you think we should go about this? That doesn't mean he can't offer feedback or say, actually, you maybe you're a foot over here or that. perhaps you want to try this. Because you can do that, but he actually gives a lot of choice and selection of controlled feedback, and as a result, and you can imagine in a in a boat where you've got to manipulate the the equipment to get through certain obstacles, whilst the water is obviously forever changing. That's really dynamic. Like that's very hard to say this is the correct technique or not, because the water is going up and down in different waves, at different speeds, different heights, etc. Well, to me, that could be comparable to soccer, to football, because no situation is the same. What happens if that player receives that ball and they suddenly decide to change their body late but quick and they've, and they've, and maybe it's got a lucky bounce and they didn't even mean it. I mean, I was watching the, the futsal games yesterday for our younger teams. It was a joy to watch. And one of the goals, it looked incredible. This player did a chop, move, beat the player, and then toe-poked it into the goal. But the initial first touch, because I asked them, I was like, what, you know, taught in the game, they didn't actually mean it. And it took a little bit of a bobble, a, like, a little deflection off the other defender, and they've just stopped the toe out and they've got it. And the keeper had no chance because the keeper didn't know where the ball was going to go. How often are we training for that? Now, it's very hard because these are unique incidental moments, right, that can happen in a game. That situation will never happen the same again, right? But the point is, is that if you were designing environments, to your point, Yaz, where it's unpredictable and it's variable, you can now say to the players, so, you know, we did a space on this ages ago, didn't we, where we talked about um, how information could be announced, unannounced or random. Random being pure, like, like that. That's random, it's the game. We don't know what's going to happen. Some things we might announce, so we might tell the player, the goalkeeper, hey, the ball's going to come from Yaz. I'm going to play the pass in to Yaz. When Yaz takes his first touch, he's going to drive it across you here. That's announced. Now they know what to expect. And it might even be prescribed as he's going to go across your corner. Unannounced could be, you know, that you don't know what the service type's going to be. You know the practice design. You know what we're going to be working on. You know that you're going to be dealing with rebounds or you're going to be dealing with Yaz receiving that ball and taking it and you're in a one-on-one situation, but you don't know how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. But it's not truly random because you know some stuff, but you don't know everything. Well, what about that? Like, how cool is that for coaching? And a lot of coaches don't feel comfortable with that because they feel like, you know, am I not needed? Well, of course you are. You're creating an environment. 
they're observing the players. Do they need, you know, do I give them instruction on this? Do I, you've got to be confident as a coach to, to, you know, recognize that my role isn't to have all the answers, but can I create an environment where players have to look for information? So what you just said before about like triggers and cues and stuff, when do I make a big save? What do, when can I do something different? How do I move? How do I exploit space? How do I, you know, recognize that this is a time to go and I've got to, Oh, actually, no, I can't go at that point. He's took his touch. He's gone past the defender. I'm already out of my goal more than I probably feel comfortable with. Actually, I might have to stay here, a bit like a defender, and delay and then make a decision from there. Well, they're only going to know that if we put them in those uncomfortable situations ourselves. So, really, the service type, the ball, everything, how are we giving that choice to the players? And we might say in this activity that we're looking at these, what, how do you want to, what do you want to know, what don't you want to know? And then let's have a discussion about what happens and, and try and discuss it with the players. That would be a better approach, perhaps. The traditional approach is that I think it would be the direct opposite to that. It would be very much that the coach decides everything, so which you know is very coach-centred. The coach is giving a lot of feedback, a lot of immediate feedback and directing feedback of what they should be doing, whether they should be putting the top hand over, the left hand over, do this, do that. It's very error correction, which means then we're looking through the lenses of mistakes so we're very critical, um, and a lot of it is pre-planned and pre-prescribed to the to the player. But they've got very little choice. But they also know a lot of what's coming, and it's high reps, isn't it? It's like you're getting a million balls at you. Well, they don't get that many shots in that short amount of time in a game. There's an argument there, isn't there? So, how do you? I guess I've got a question for you, Yaz. Is to summarise all that, I'm suggesting. Could we create more environments where the players have choice and there's an element of variability and unpredictability within the design of the activities, right? My question to you and to anyone in the room who's listening who feels comfortable to answer is how comfortable are you at doing that with your players? And, you know, if you have done that and with the, with the goalkeepers, do you feel that like they'll get better as a result of training this way or... Do you think that we should stick more to the traditional approach, if we're going to use that word, where it is that static ball? It is that, no, here's your correct technique. Here's where you need to put your hands. Here's the W. Here's the cup. Here's this. Here's that. Tuck your shoulder in as you're landing soft. You know, what's your thoughts? And where's the sort of middle ground as you're designing these environments? Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. And I think, you know, it's just something worth highlighting, you know, in what you said then. It always comes back to this for me is the players are always going to be interacting with the same variables, but how they perceive those variables is going to be very individualised and subjective to them, right? So, yeah, we, you know, they're, de they're dealing with the same type of shots, the same type of surfaces, but how they have to then, you know, they're dealing with the same types of situations with players in their way and players not in their way or different strikers, you know, shooting from different distances. and But also... You know, they're, they're dealing with different forwards having different levels of backlift and whatnot. And, it's, you know, I gave an example the other day. Well, how do you prepare for someone like Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank who doesn't have any backlift and can pull off a shot that's, you know, let's just say super damn powerful, right? Um, as opposed to that one where someone has to have a run-up to create that same velocity in their, in their strike. And it's just being 
aware of all the different cues that it could exist and what the what the subtlety of those might be and those can be very individual as well so i think it is it can be quite dangerous to go down the route of suggesting there to be a specific technique i think i'll go back to what i always say that as a coach i think it's good i think it's important that you have a way but not assume it's the only way or the way if you like um and i think that bit's really key because you know you can talk about all the different techniques and you can talk about all the different kind of you know approaches that we want to work with but bottom line is this my hands might be bigger than yours my arms might be bigger than yours my my limbs might be longer than yours so how does that affect my technique you know can i really have the same technique as a one size fits all approach i mean I'm not, I, I i personally don't think you can uh so i think you know taking it into that is then giving the players and like you said having that conversation that discussion with the players around some of the variables that they are interacting so they they're aware of the variables um first and then have a discussion or a conversation around how those in, how those impact those individuals in particular um and i think you know there is basic things i think that you can do which are probably quite universal um but there's also things that are like i said very subjective and individualized right i think little things for instance you know knowing when to go and i'll give you an example if i'm working with a group of goalkeepers typically or even if i'm working with an individual goalkeeper i typically try not to mess to mess around too much with their with their with whatever their technique is or whatever their whatever their style is if you like but there is a couple key things that probably will go in there straight away and um try and not enforce but maybe implement to some extent as what i consider to be maybe good practice and but this also typical of the type of goalkeepers that i would potentially like to develop so i'll give you an example of that um you know I talk to goalkeepers about preparing themselves in in a way where their hands are ball width apart um you know from my experience it's been quite useful kind of going down that route you know in terms of helping goalkeepers actually becoming better at um going after catches because you know from my experience a lot of goalkeepers don't actually catch the ball that often especially at younger age groups because they're much more considered around trying to keep the ball up the net which is you know which is fine and i get that but if I, if you start with ball width from your hands then you're more likely to go and lead with two in which case if you're not you're probably going to lead with one and you're probably never even thinking about bringing the second one around to to help you make that catch um so you know just little things like that or making sure their elbows aren't too far back in their start positions or set position sorry because you know you how many times you've seen that save where the goalkeeper's arm gets caught underneath them just little good habits are is what I'd probably refer to them as that you can kind of just start to enforce and implement a little bit um but without having too much influence on their overall style right um because obviously every goalkeeper is different just like every player is going to be different and I think it's important to us to recognize those differences but support them with some key things that probably can get them some quick wins um and I kind of refer it back to the point I made last week about you know working with them on like a three level on three tier level if you like um you know level 1 being yeah keep the ball up the net level 2 keep the ball up the net and hold on to it level 3 keep the ball up the net hold on to it and then get in a position to be able to distribute and if i think if i work down that kind of framework and that structure then it always gives me a position to kind of like look through right where am i focusing on right now with this player was it a was it a keep the ball up the net piece so was it a defending piece was it a maintaining piece or was it a distribution piece and then that probably makes it easier for me to narrow down and i guess observe which lens i need to kind of um 
you know, focus my intervention around, if that makes sense. I don't know if that helps in any way or, or, or answers your question. It does, because what I think was quite fascinating there, and it, it comes back to that early point, you also had an idea of, well, what does a good goalkeeper look like for you? So you've also made the decision there that you've recognised that there is individual difference with players. Your arm might be longer than mine, or left to right might be longer, hands, everything is different. You've also recognised preference and and how some players might prefer... Like, I've seen some people have no hand sort of set position. Others have always, you know, they're so conscious they've had their hands in a position where they're facing each other or they're open or they're... But they can still save the shot. I've seen some go down the road of what you talked about, uh, ball width apart. I've seen some others where there's no specification, but there's no right or wrong way. I think what was fascinating was you have a very, you know you'll have an idea of what does the keeper have to look like? What does good goalkeeping look like? What's the type of goalkeeper you're going after? And perhaps that's where we should start. You know, if we if if coaches ask themselves, what do I want my keepers to do fundamentally? You know, in our club, we want our keepers to obviously stop the ball going in. We don't have a preference on whether they're using the hands or feet. We've actually seen a lot, and probably because in the last two years since I've been with Sporting, we've done a hell of a lot of futsal you know, um, in the winter season. So from October, November to February, we're constantly indoors doing futsal. Um, and we've seen a lot of those techniques, even throughout the season, the fall and the spring and the summer, introduced. And we've even used, you know, I've seen coaches throw tennis balls and all kinds of different stuff. And I get it, you know, for different stimuli, right? Differentiation. You could argue either way, whether that's right or wrong. I like to think, well, if, you know, one of the coaches the other day had this machine, <laughs> it's almost like a, a machine and equipment where it's creating a different type of deflection. And I was thinking, but that's perhaps arguably training them for a different game because the game, nowhere in the game do they have to react off no foot making contact with a ball and the machine shooting something at them. But if, if it's a player's foot or something else, that's what they're reacting off, right? So why don't we just keep it simple? Don't stay too far away from the game. And we're introducing, we'll use futsal balls and things like that. And we found that, you know, they have saved a lot more with the feet. I remember one parent like, oh God, why aren't you diving using his hands or whatever? But they're still stopping the ball. In fact, some of them have stretched, and there was one the other night, stretched, saved it, blocked it, and then decided to dribble out of the back and then create an attack. And that's part of, like, we want our goalkeepers to do that. We want our goalkeepers to use their feet more, to play, to be creative. When they have got the ball, can we quickly play forward fast? So how quickly can we find the number nine? That's their first look in any situation, whether it's a restart or during a transitional moment. Can we quickly, upon regaining the ball and us having the ball, can we find our number nine? That's our first look is forward. After that, then we'll look to go through the layers. It might be midfield, then it'll be the closest defenders. Do we get them on the ball? Because of that, that influences a lot of how we coach. And I want it to influence our goalkeeper coaches where if we design activities where the players are striking balls, and I'll get to that as well, players maybe hit a ball, they're in a situation, they've had a shot, keeper saved it. Can the keeper run out and break out into a counter goal? Can, can, they, can you integrate the keepers in your team practices where they're breaking out to certain players like the wood in a game. So it's becoming more representative of what behaviours do you want them to do during a match. So I think it's spot on. 
and just on that note, yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. One thing we've been wrestling with is, well, with with the training of the keepers, can we create situations where we're getting them to to develop their skills versus us developing ours? And what I mean by that, quite bluntly, is if we're talking about traditional, you know, the title of the CPD is traditional approaches to goalkeeper training and coaching. Who is typically, and I, I want you to answer this with one one word answer. Yes. Who is typically striking the ball? When we're talking about goalkeeper training, who's typically providing the service, whether it's a throw or a kick to a keeper? Well, typically it's the coach. I mean, I'm, I'm actually... Right. It's I the coach, isn't it? I, I so why can't it. I be the player? Well, who's getting better? I'm getting better at my kicking. So I had this debate with one of our coaches the other day. Love to get your thoughts on it. And the coach was arguing back, and that's fine. I love challenge. He's like, yeah, but they're not getting the quality service. You know, I can ping it in better. I went, yeah, but they're never going to get better if you don't let them try. So I'm actually not too bothered if it's not the ideal service or that kid isn't great, you know, clipping it into his hands or whatever, because it might not always be perfect in a match, but they've got to deal with it. And actually, that kid who's the keeper still needs to develop the technique. They often go, oh, keepers can't kick it. Some at the younger age, they haven't got the strike. Well, what a great opportunity for them to develop the foot skills whilst also, depending on how you're rotating people and things like that, developing the handling. So have them do more in the practice. I'd love to, you know, get your thoughts on that. <coughs> yeah, sorry. I think... <coughs> Apologies. Um, yeah, I think um, it's a good question. I think for me, it's... It's understanding your players, really. I think there's going to be, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a big fan of what you just said. Can we get the players doing all the repetitions? Because it is more repetitions for them to develop their technique and their ability to perform those services or however you wish to look at it, right? I think um, on the flip side, though, you, you've got to manage it to make sure there is a certain level of, not quality per se, but a certain frequency and consistency of the quality coming in. Because otherwise the goalkeepers in the goal don't really get to work if the, if the, if the service isn't somewhat consistent so there's that piece the other side of it is also recognising that at times for me um, the coach coming in to do the service could obviously inject a different type of intensity in the practice which sometimes needs to be done um, one to help the players understand what it could or should look like maybe in that moment but also recognise that you know once the players have understood it just like with anything give them an opportunity to try and implement it themselves. Um, so I think it's, it's finding that right balance, understanding your players and knowing where they're at. And then kind of beyond that, I think one of the things I always say is, you know, I guess to counter it and play devil's advocate is actually whether the coach does it, whether, the, whether they don't. I think the key is if, as long as the service is, is consistent in quality and not outcome specifically, meaning that every service is going to end up being different anyway. So you're still getting that element of repetition of the goalkeepers having to deal with different services coming in and not necessarily having to deal with the, that set routine of, <clears throat> you know, if you go down the traditional approach, <clears throat> goalkeeper, coach, drop it, half volley, strike, or drop it, volley, strike, or whatever that looks like. Because that's just not real. And, I, you know, I, and I, can, I can appreciate and understand the benefits that that may bring, but I think there's more cons than pros in actually doing it that way um, certainly over a longer term for the goalkeepers and like I said the sooner they can get 
comfortable dealing with random services because that's what the game is going to give them anyway. And none of us have got a magic you know, wand where we can just produce the exact same quality ball every time anyway, which, again, the game doesn't give you that. So what, why practice that? I think it's just getting as much repetition as possible with as many different types of services and finishes as possible or, you know, yeah, just services generally, which then give you plenty of opportunities to actually coach and what the goalkeeper maybe should or shouldn't do or could or couldn't do in certain certain environments and certain moments of the game, I guess. And then kind of building on that just to kind of um, cap it off is... <laughs> I think... You know, going back to your piece around announced, unannounced and random, I think the announced piece should only be that this is what the practice is going to be set up to do. But technically speaking, you you kind of move into an element of random with all the services that come in anyway. So I think going back to your first point about having discussions with the players and having conversations with them, I think that's probably where the biggest piece comes in. And then beyond that, I think it's also not falling into the trap of just getting the goalkeeper in a goal, peppering them with 150 services in the, in the space of three minutes, because actually that's not real either. Give them appropriate time to recover, give them appropriate time to set up. You know, realistically, how many shots is a goalkeeper going to have to take within a three, four second window? At best, what, four, three, if you're lucky? You know, it's going to be quick, short, sharp, one, two, three. Think about where the where the ball's coming back out from and where it's going to come come to and plan that into your, into your practice as well. So don't have three services coming in with one from the edge of the box, one or sorry, rather one from inside the six-yard box, one from the edge of the box and one from what further because how often do you see that in a game? What you might see is actually the first service right at an angle across the goal and goalkeeper has to get up for a follow-up. Try and think about what does, the act, what does the interaction or the action actually look like when a goalkeeper has to take multiple services in a game or deal with multiple shots in such a short space of time in a game give them that appropriate window, give them the appropriate rest period to get back in and get recovered for that. Because the other side of it is, and I think this is the typical thing that you do see as well, goalkeepers get thrown into the session. And before you know it, like I said, they've taken 150 shots in the space of three or four minutes. Probably only good with maybe the first five, if you're lucky. And off the back end of that, you're just getting peppered left, right and centre. Goalkeeper gets knocked for confidence. And then, the forwards or whoever else in the team thinking the goalkeeper is not that great because they're just getting popped. Well, all right. Well, how many how many shots are you going to take in that period of time <laughs> in a game? Like it's not realistic, is it? So, I think it's going back to what does their game look like? How often do they take services, and what do those services typically look like? And I think it's really studying the game of your opponents. And if you look at your players and the games they play, where do the shots typically come from? Where do what what other services they're typically having to deal with? And use that as a foundation, but then kind of layer around that as well. What does it look like at the next stage of the game? So if you're working with a goalkeeper, at, let's just say under 11s as an example, they're playing nine v nine. Or what kind of services are they getting in nine v nine? What kind of shots are they getting in nine v nine? And what does that then look like as a as a trend when you move over to maybe th under 13s or under 12s? And can you start to maybe just sprinkle that stuff on top of the typical stuff they're going to get in their game, if that makes sense. So there's a lot you said there. And again, it's spot on. And even the bit what you said earlier at the start, which is, well, sometimes the coach, the goalkeeper coach or the coach, whoever has to sometimes deliver the service or whatever to get the quality of the intensity. And you're spot on. There are, I'm not suggesting that we go from one extreme to the next, 
But what I'm suggesting, which I think hopefully is rang true, is that can we put more on the players? Can we have them doing more? Can we observe more as coaches and just create environments? And the reason why I want to go back to this because we've got to think about that that continuum of what do goalkeeper coaches say and want and think and what do the goalkeepers actually want and think and say? So there was an interesting piece, if anyone saw it, from Anthony White where he talked about this and if we think about traditional approaches, typically goalkeeper coaches will do a lot around, you know, the prescribed structure, technique. Like there'll be a high emphasis on technique and the correct technique, drilling them, lots of repetitions, peppering the ball. Everything you just said, I don't want to repeat it. Everything you just said. And then we're highly critical of these goalkeepers, aren't we? And we're judging them of, well, he's not very good. I could have done that. And what's the cognitive load, never mind the physical and the technical and everything else. Um, and I think it's interesting because I'll, I'll share a couple of quotes with everyone. I'd love to get people's thoughts on this and get some interaction from listeners. Goalkeeper coaches in a recent case study typically say they want to start the session with low chaos to build confidence and then increase gradual, right? Whether they do that is a different question. Um, but they believe that goalkeepers like routine before a game, they like structure in the session and game, and it's all about technique. We've got to build technique within the goalkeeper session to gain you know, the decision-making that they need in outfield sessions. And we've got to start the session with this. Um, now, if we then look at what the players say, because the goalkeeper coaches are saying they've got to do it this way, and there's a structure to what they want to do with the players. The players are actually saying, um, I'm open to new ideas and in any order. Uh, I think it depends. Sometimes I simply like to focus on me solving my own technique. I want to figure out. I want to sometimes do a session without being asked why I'm doing it. There's times where I want to be told, and that's good. It relates to what goalkeeper coaches do. There's times when I want to be asked the question. But they also say that they uh, like to learn from experiencing stuff and watching others try stuff in a game and, and trying to see if they can do it themselves. And if they can, that they, they, they want to know what the structure looks like, right? And don't get me wrong, there'll be goal, there'll be coaches, there'll be goalkeepers, sorry, players that will say the opposite. They'll say, "Hey, I like a set routine. I like." knowing what's coming, I like structure, I want to always focus on my technique, I want to be shouted at, I want to be yelled at. There'll be kids that love that because that's how they've been conditioned from the parents and there'll be others that are a little bit more open to choice. What I'm throwing out there is for people to explore of does the current approach of how we train and coach these players fit the needs of what they want and need? Now, I'm not saying we have to do everything they want, but we do have to, to recognise what they want and, and try and match, more importantly, what they need. So I'd be interested in your environment. How good are we at really asking the players, whether it's a survey or whatever it is, and asking them, you know, like, what do you want to get out of the practice this week? What do you want the next six weeks to look like? How can we fit this around your individual goals? And get some influence from the players. Because goalkeepers have to make decisions. We can't get away from that. And the spotlight is on them. Out of all the other positions, you can you can go hiding in a lot of places in in football, but when the ball gets closer to the goal, it's almost like there's this big spotlight, isn't there? 
and everyone can notice what the goalkeeper is and everyone's suddenly an expert on whether he should have saved it or not, as the case may be, right? And it's unfair. Well, we were expecting a high expectation of you've got to stop that ball and you've always got to make 100% decisions correct. And what I think is funny is, I'm sure you agree, Yaz, we never get any decision wrong, do we? <laughs> when we're watching it. Oh, I should have done that. Should have... We're an expert on everything. The keeper, oh, I didn't, wrong technique there, should have gone with this hand or did this or whatever. We're expecting a lot from these. Do we have that same expectation and pressure on the defenders, on the midfielders, on the strikers? I know there'll be some at times, but a lot in the game gets missed because of the chaos of the game. But with the keepers, there's that spotlight. So I'm saying, actually then, it needs to be less of them relying on us with the prescription and perhaps more the traditional approach or current approach, we should say, to training goalkeeper coaching should be what do we want them to be able to, to develop? Well, we need them to develop good leadership skills. We need them to develop confidence to deal with resilience. What if you've just made a mistake? You know, we had it yesterday. The player, you talked about that ball that goes under the arm. And there was a couple that just snuck in at the bottom corner. Under the, and there's nothing they could do. The, the ball's gone in the back of the net. And the keeper's getting low confidence. We're 3-0 down, but the, we've been dominating the game. And they're not the normal player that's gone in goal and they've gone not the normal keeper. Keeper's injured. This person's gone in. We're 3-0 down. What's the confidence of that player now? But we were like, don't worry, keep going, keep going. Because their actions in goal, by the way, were outstanding. When they got it, they were looking to play forward quickly, like we asked. They were finding uh, the striker who's free to create the counter. They're, do they're doing the things that we want them to do. It's just unfortunate that the other team took their chance as well. We're 3-0 down. We end up coming back and winning 4-3. But the keeper in that moment is getting lower and lower in confidence. Well, we've got to design practices where they've got that resilience. They've got that bounce-back ability to go, do you know what, let's move on. Like, learn from it, but that's in the past now. I can't change it. I've got to get ready for the next save. I've got to get ready for the next action. Well, we need decision-makers then. We need problem-solvers. We need leaders. So perhaps we should give them a little bit more autonomy instead of the traditional approach, which is we do design everything for them. That's where, sorry if that's a long-winded answer, but that's where I'm thinking about it as, as we're going through it. No, no, I think some great points then. I just want to kind of uh, throw a question at you off the back of a comment that's come up in, in, the, or in the comments. And it says, would a goalkeeper receive any coaching from an outfield player serving? What are your thoughts? Will the goalkeeper receive any coaching from an outfield player serving? I doubt it. Um, I don't know if I understand the question well enough. Outfield players briefly a pro, briefed appropriately to do so is your response. Andy, do you want to unmute and just add clarity to your question just so I understand it well, if he's listening? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that before I respond. I want to make sure I understand the question fully. George, just waiting for Andy if he does uh, choose to unmute. <coughs> Maybe just worth letting people know how to access CPD as well. Yeah, can do. So we're going to share a, a link, which is a Google form, short form, which requires you to put in your full name, your email, your fan number. If you want to get a part of this process, added CPD points to your fan profile with the Football Association. Uh, so make sure it's correct. And then you'll complete a reflection based on your key takeaways or if anything's still swirling around not quite sure you want to have more questions or what's really made sense to you 
and consult, you know, squared off a lot of your pre-existing beliefs. Um, whatever the answer is, you just cover a short uh, reflection, and that's immediately submitted, and that enables you to get one hour eligible CPD as part of attending this space. Um, and we'll submit that. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Close to the County FA. We're working with Middlesex County FA through Yaz. Um, and they'll get added to everyone's profiles if that's what they choose to do. Um, we also have people who aren't with the FA that have completed them, which is great as well to see that learning. Um, so I don't know if... if if Andy's coming on, I don't know if yeah. I understand the question, but I'll I'll try and give it as best as I can. Is Andy on? <clears throat> He's not, but I think um, the question was more refer- referring back to the point that we made about maybe having the outfield players do the services. Okay. Um, and whether basically, you know, I mean, I'm assuming this is what the question is leading to, is whether the goalkeeper coach is the best place to do that so that they can actually feed back on it. Presuming that the goal, the outfield players probably wouldn't be feeding back in the same way the coach would. But could the pl- could the player give feedback? Could an outfield player give feedback? I've well, actually seen some great peer to peer learning. That's if I've the, no, I was just going to say that's the comment from myself is coming. It's, you know, I don't see any reason why not if the outfield players are appropriately briefed to do so. Yeah, absolutely. I've actually seen some because how how cool would it be if you had imagine at the highest level, right? Um, and I'm sure it goes on in clubs where back, I always refer to Tierra Rick as he's, he, he was fantastic in his day, but you look at Mbappe now or maybe a Haaland, you've got these players. How cool would it be if you had someone like that saying, this is what I'm typically doing? So in this moment, like Henri's famously, if anyone's seen it, he talked about freezing the goalkeeper. So where a lot of people want to get the shot off quickly, he would actually pause to sort of lock the goalie in and commit a step and, all, and there's others where they'll talk about the timing of shooting as the goalkeeper's about to jump. So they're slightly off balance and the feet, one of the foot's in the air. And they're now in a position where they're in a sort of much stable region, really. And it's a tough spot to be in and they can get the shot off then. There'll be other players where they talk about, like Mbappe on interviews has said, hey, I'll drive across people. But then what I'll do is I'm looking for the moment where the defender is almost in front of the goalie at that time and I'll square it across the other direction. So now what that could do, you could use that the other way where if, if we've got our players teaching each other of what are their like secrets and tips, if you like, the goalie on the other hand is saying, oh, right, oh, that's interesting. So you're actually going to do this here. Okay, well, then maybe I might have to adjust myself here. Do you see what I'm saying? And it could go the other way. You could talk to the keeper and say, how would you deal with this? Well, the reason why I'm saving your shot is because I can see what your hips are doing and you're positioned here. But if you do this, that's going to give 
me less information to sit. Now you're creating a peer-to-peer learning environment. So I think you could do that. Um, I've had other outfield players and even goalkeepers within a session feeding in so the, the service and they're giving feedback or they're not. I've just had them where it's like, hey, I want you to do what the coach would normally do, whether controlling it and shooting or clip it into hands or whatever. I would have the others practicing those techniques as well. So they're delivering the service for the for the detail. But then I'm still the coach and I'll ask the question and guide. But I think it's a great opportunity for players to develop individual skills interleaved within the overall session. So the overall session might be that we're just trying to work on the basics of handling yeah but you've also designed an activity where they're getting repetition of other skills that are really important for their game to be able to play in the game um without them realizing it so that that would be my answer andy's on yeah andy i don't know if i answered your question or if i if i understood it correctly what you're asking but go ahead i I guess what i'm trying to say is um hopefully you can hear me um, and apologies Perfect. for taking a little while to get on. I had to understand my own phone first to, to allow me, Mike, to, to be able to speak. Um, you know, I, I've only ever worked in grassroots football. I've never had the, the luxury, if that's the right word, to, to work at much higher levels um, in a professional arena where perhaps the environment is right, is one thing, um, and the expectations are, are probably far different, although the Discipline should be the same, but the expectations are probably varying um, away from grassroots football. And there probably isn't the goalkeeper coaches around, enough of them. So although I understand where you're coming from, Gerard, with the integration bit, but the fundamentals of the glove man still needs to remain, in my personal belief. Um, And I I think Yaz um, touched on it earlier as well, where... You know, a striker is going to be delivered a session on striking the ball, for example, um, and the phases be prior to striking the ball. And that would be delivered to that player. So, but if a player, an outfield player's uh, set a task of putting delivery into a goalkeeper, is he going to be focused on, is the coach looking so I can stick it in them top bins? Or is he going to be focused on delivering for the goalkeeper? I don't know, and I know it's a two-way thing, and I get all that. But you know, if it's about goalkeepers, we gotta. I, I truly believe we need to keep it goalkeeper specific. They've got to allow their time for their development as well as the outfield player. Um, and then later on in the session, or you know, whenever, as long as the goalkeeper coach, the head coach, or whatever the setup is, that's all communicated effectively, you probably get better outcomes. You know, how often in futsal does the goalkeeper actually catch the ball, look up to see if they can get that delivery? It's not all about blocking. I think it's all about blocking then, should I say. Um, I don't know. That's just my my viewpoint as a, no, as, a retired level, as, as a as a retired level two coach, but a father of a goalkeeper. And do you know what? You, your experience, first of all, thanks for sharing that because this is what we want. We don't want everything to to agree with us, right? It creates these debates and you may end up by the end of it saying, actually, I'll think about this. So you might still believe what you, and that's great. Like this is what it's about, isn't it? And I think you've, I love the last bit that you just shared because it gives us context as well, that you're a father of a goalie. So you've got that sort of perspective on it as well as coaching. 
I coach at grassroots level and I've coached at grassroots level in the UK and all over and, and a lot in the US, like a lot. And I would say you can do this because we're doing it and we are doing it. Um, it's just creating environments. And I think the point that you made, it's a really good point, actually. And it just comes back to the skill of the coach. And it's not asking a lot of coaches because I've managed grassroots coaches before. And I've got to be careful what I say, but I've managed a lot of grassroots part-time coaches in the United States that are like you, that are mums and dads. This isn't their full-time job. Some are doing it voluntarily. Some are doing it paid part-time. Some want to try and make a career out of it and they're doing it every day and they're trying to make more money out of it. And they're coaching a lot of teams and things like that. But they've not necessarily, not all of them have played soccer, football. Not all of them have coached at a good level, whatever. It's not their number one sport. You know, I'm watching the Chiefs today. Football, basketball, you compete with other sports over here. Whereas over in the UK, you could argue, perhaps you might have a bit more Andy domain knowledge of football because we've grown up on it. It's our sport. It's our national thing, football and rugby and things like that. We might have a bit more knowledge. Um, and I think what's interesting is even though these coaches might come from a lesser experienced perspective, arguably, they can still create environments, but it's all about the expectation, the culture, right? So if I manage the, the environment right, where I'm saying to coaches, hey, and they've got to do it with the players, you know, I don't want you messing around. If you want to put it in top bins, that's, it depends on the, I think Yaz used it as like, what's their brief? If they want to put it in and they want to score for themselves, that might be. If it's somewhere it's, hey, I'm using you because I want you to clip it in. I've never ever, um, it doesn't mean it can't happen, but I've never experienced that issue, even with grassroots players. And I mean very, very grassroots players. I've never experienced it where that, that becomes a problem. What I've seen is I say, hey, Tyler, I want you to play this ball into his hands. And if anything, at times, Tyler struggles. And he's got to develop that technique of striking the ball. So he's getting repetition from A. Just knock out your feet. And this is your put bump. And can you clip it into his hands? The keeper's getting that thing. And I don't think it's too harmful to create that environment because it's still about the goalkeepers. But depending on how you manage behaviour and you manage expectations and that type of thing, so they're not, you know, they're focused on the task, the keeper can still get a lot out of it. Uh, my worry is if we go the other way, perhaps they're not, you know, because there are a lot of keepers. If we just look at general basics of grassroots football, I'm not even talking just academy, and I've seen it, they get to teenagers' age and they still can't strike a ball very far. Some can't kick it outside the penalty area. Some just have poor foot skills. So that tells me that there's been a, a problem where we're putting it off for somebody else to try and solve. That kid has never really been developed those skills and then, you know, my other thing would be, and you're spot on, you talk about, hey, we've got to, there's still got to be a place you're arguing, you know, for the, the technique or the hands or things like that. I would suggest that although there are certain ways that you can catch a ball, no different to basketball, no different to, for sure, there'll be more better ways. We can still give them that direct feedback. But what I'm suggesting is, can we recognise the difference in the players? Because... You know, no player passes and kicks the ball the same way. And it comes down to this perceived of like, is there an ideal technique? Or actually, if I'm still getting the same outcome, what's wrong with that? So if I can still block it and stop it or kick it or whatever, if it's doing the outcome that's intended, that's okay. 
because who's it really for? Is it for the satisfaction of the coach and that they're remodeling what we want them to do to this ideal technical model? Or is it that they get better at doing what we need them to do in the game? So they're responding to the game's problems. So that's where I would go. And then futsal, yeah, there's a lot of catching. I mean, there is a lot of blocking and foot saves, chest saves, sometimes you get in the face, a lot of parrying. But there are times where you are catching, certainly at the younger ages as well, where seeing it with grassroots kids, I'm not even talking just academy kids, grassroots kids where there's a lot of times they're carrying or they're, put, they're using the, the floor as a second, as a third hand, if you like, just like in normal football. And they're picking it up from a loose ball or someone that's clipped out and it's straight and they can catch it and then they can use that to, to counter. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, just to summarise, yeah, I think you can get benefit from design environments like this at the grassroots level. And I think a lot of it comes down to how you manage behaviour, what are the expectations for the players, and then how are you rewarding or incentivising certain players based on it. So could you put a challenge where, hey, Yaz, if you're putting this ball in this area, it's worth X amount of points. If you're doing this, it's worth here. And you're guiding the players on what they can do. And then it's whether or not you tell the keeper what to expect or not. And I think that comes down to knowing your players. And if you know that the skill level is a little bit weaker, they're not as confident, perhaps everything has to be announced and you have to be a bit more, hey, here's what's coming, little Johnny. I'm going to do this and I want you to try and do this. And I'm going to talk to you about landing soft and things like that. And the ball's going to be softly passed into there to allow you to... Maybe we have to do that if it's a lesser skill. And maybe if they're more skilled, there can be more variability or difficulty. And that's the choice of the coach, isn't it? Which comes down to, you know, knowing your players. Yaz, you've got your hand up. Um, I won't go any further. I've got a few more things in my head, but I want to know what you think because you've got a, a good perspective on this. Yeah, and no, I was just going to go back to Andy's earlier point, and I think it's one of them ones where you know he talks about goal, the, 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 the striker putting the ball in the top bins as an example, and I think, well, if that's what the if that's what the striker is able to do at the game, that the, the goalkeeper is going to be involved in, they need to be able to deal with that. Um, that is the outcome they need to be able to deal with, and I think, you know, I understand the consideration that the goalkeeper may or may not get necessarily the same level of quote-unquote successful repetitions. But if they're not getting successful repetitions, maybe that's an area for development in itself. Um, however, a flip side to it, and, and I think the key thing to kind of really go back to and think about is if the practice is real for the strikers, then the practice is going to be real for the goalkeeper. And I think that's the key piece because the goalkeeper is going to have to deal with what's real for the strikers and not just what's ideal for them. And I think that's probably the only 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 thing I'd add to um, off the back of what Andy was saying. I, just, I think it's a really important point to make that, yes, the strikers might put it in the top bins, but it's not going to be every single time. But again, if the goalkeeper can get themselves in a position where they can feel like they appropriately have to be able to deal with it, and there will be some opportunities where the striker doesn't necessarily hit it in the top bins and how well does the goalkeeper prep themselves for it? And I think that's part of the responsibility of the coach to prepare the players for. So I think there is that kind of fine balance of, how many opportunities is the goalkeeper getting to make a save? Um, is one consideration, but I think the you know the deeper consideration is well, how many opportunities is the goalkeeper making a save? is based on realistic scenarios, and if it is real, I don't see any way the goalkeeper can't benefit from it. And if we're if we're setting up practices just for the goalkeeper to quote unquote get successful repetitions, you know the question that I'm got in the back of my mind is well. Are those successful repetitions realistic to the game? Therefore, are they actually helping the goalkeeper get better at what they're then expected to do when they get out there over the white lines? Um, that's probably 
the biggest thought that I've got off the back of what Andy just said in particular and kind of links back into what, you, what you're saying, Gerald. I'm not sure if you've got anything you want to kind of add to that, Andy. Um, I guess it's, it's about the, you know, go back to the four corners um, modules. Um, technical, if, if the goalkeeper's not getting coached appropriately as a goalkeeper, or, okay, as a footballer with the use of his hands then in the modern world, and I, and I fully appreciate that, and so does my son, actually. Um, but what, what I just to add a little bit more to what I was trying to get across is that I started to come and I use my son as, as part of this as well. You know, he's 19 now, but he, he started to develop far more expediently, appropriately under the tutelage of a, a proper goalkeeper coach, then, if that's fair to say. Um, someone that's worked in at the at higher levels. Quite happy to come down and not work at the higher levels and deliver in the grassroots arena. And that's absolutely brilliant because you don't see none of that in the grassroots arena. And I guess that probably links into the FA Youth Modules 1, 2 and, and Advanced, if they still exist, that is. Um, because there's a lot of sessions involved in the FA Youth Mod 1 that I can remember that perhaps should have been you know, delivered way back when. Um, I did the level one and level two. It's, again, this is all you know about opinions, isn't it? And how to get the, the right balance for the players. Um, but it's based, you know, what, what I'm suggesting in here is based on what's happened through my son, not what I want him to do, what I believe should have happened for him. As, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think I think I get what you're saying, and just to clarify my understanding, if that's all right, is you're basically saying you know there, there still needs to be the element of work with the goalkeepers. Would Absol that be fair? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. That's the fundamental. All, all I'm suggesting. Is, yeah, I mean there is, but all I'm suggesting is this: is if if the work of the goalkeepers isn't based on the real services they'll be getting in the game, then how beneficial is it? Is it really? And I'm not saying that there is no benefit to it. The only the only consideration I'd have is: are we moving at ten miles an hour? To suit the suit the, I guess the, the quote unquote comfort of the goalkeeper, and to not quote unquote knock the confidence of the goalkeeper, then moving at potentially thirty miles an hour on a very rocky road, which could, yes, have have plenty of ups and downs, but actually then changes the role of the coach in the process. In that, it's about managing the goalkeeper's expectations and where they're at in the game. You know, if if you've got let's just say three centre-forwards, you've got Gerard, Andy and Tony taking strikes at the goalkeeper, all very different, but they're doing it in a, in a quote-unquote game-realistic scenario. Personally speaking, I don't see any any reason why that can't be a bet. I can't see reasons why that wouldn't be the best way to work with a goalkeeper. Now, I understand the other, other perspective of it in that, you know, if you want to go down the typical traditional route of isolating the work with the goalkeeper, building it up from maybe statics, static finishes, and then maybe finishes off the floor and different types of finishes there, but I still think that that element of the training needs to exist. Um, but it's not to discount what Gerard is um, suggesting about you know the a different way of doing it because you don't always mm. have the luxury of a goalkeeper coach as well at varying levels of the game. Um, sure. you know, hence what I said just now. Um, then you have to go off and find someone away from the club because they don't always have them. Perhaps that's another issue that needs to be implemented into FA charter uh, clubs. 
they have to have, should have one to deliver those type of sessions. But yes, I, I wholeheartedly agree as well that that the, the game related stuff, but is having two or three players smacking the ball at a goalkeeper game related? Absolutely not. Well, that's, that's that's the point I'm making. Yeah. If it's done in an unrealistic fashion, then it's probably not beneficial and there's probably no difference having a goalkeeping coach do, do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas if the practices are set up in a way where the centre-forwards in this in this case are having to make game-realistic serv services by striking at the ball at goal, whether that be top bins, whether that be in the bottom corners, whether that be, you know, actually striking one in right of the face of the goalkeeper or striking one in at the feet of the goalkeeper bounces just before it hits the keeper. All stuff that could happen in a game, but all stuff that's done, like I said, in a game-realistic moment where the players also happen to, to contest with the same variables. It, personally, in my opinion, my experience, I don't think there's a better way to do it than with the goalkeepers. And I think, the, yes, the argument is, and yes, I'm open to the idea that there might be a lot less success in in doing it that way in terms of making the saves in the moment. But actually, the experience of having to go through those different types of game-related situations and then having the platform, if you like, to coach from because all the information is actually there in our faces and we're not having to kind of visualise it. It's it's there and then we can actually recap and reflect on what's just happened. I think serves as a better kind of, um, let's just say, serves as better soil for the goalkeepers to grow within. It's interesting because it, there's a couple of things I'm thinking here. One is that these spaces are great in terms of creating discussion. Not great in terms of the visual because obviously you always want a great idea this is what if we remember we do this on the next space yeah as if we record ourselves and people can watch both so it's like a live stream because we could almost visually create something on a on a digital tactical board of what we're talking about right so there's like a visual of what that activity could look like in my hell but my first thing that just popped into my head was what's your belief system because me and you are probably more of the environment type belief system and designing an environment to influence behavior and ultimately that's what coaching is about it's about improving and changing behavior from a current behavior to a desired behavior there is the belief and my dad will share the same as probably andy and a lot of it is influence on what we know right you can you can only do that is like there's got to be this way of learning this technique or you've got to learn how to do this and i think my challenge back to that is that there is no ideal technique. There's a lot of goalkeeper coaches that, and this is maybe a, a problem for another day, um, and it'll throw a spanner in the works, but we've had all these supposed specialist coaches. Are we developing better goalkeepers? I asked this the other day, and I don't know if the answer is that we are, if I'm being honest, because I can understand the rationale on both sides, so I'll be critical of myself in that, you know, if, as an example... Overall, specialist coaching, right, if we're talking about this, these goalkeeper coaches, if you can't give information and recognise an environment, and if, if a coach working individually with one player or a couple of players or a small group cannot manipulate an environment or the, the rules or the task constraints, whatever conditions, to cater to the needs of each individual, then there's an argument that one might argue that this role will be even harder with a head coach trying to work with a squad of 12, 20, 30 players, right? If you can't even do it with one or two. But 
I can see on the flip side that these individual coaches, what is their theoretical rationale for why they do what they do? Because I know from practical experience, which is lived experience of coaching, as well as on the academic side, that basically people who are given more autonomy, more variability in the design, at first struggle, right, big time. They can sometimes develop, it's, it's difficult for them and they're perhaps used to being more told what to do and showed a, a coordinated plan of how to move their bodies. But actually over time, post-test and retention tests have found that people who are involved in, in more variability and, a, and an actual order of how they can control their schedule and their information and this type of thing and they've designed these environments are more adaptable to changes in the environment they're actually better at developing what would other people would so-called experts have described as wow that is such a good technique that a technique that they've adopted there is brilliant they must have been trained they must have been drilled well and these players weren't drilled well but they actually came they discovered their own techniques through exploration and things like that so not everything has to be prescribed. Some stuff can be through discovery. And I think there's a balance in the middle for sure. I'm not saying we go from one extreme to the next. Um, but ultimately, whoever's coaching these players, probably the first question you've got to ask yourself is, what is my philosophy on coaching? What's my practice philosophy? Because that's going to influence everything. If your practice philosophy is to learn how to move, you've got to create the correct technique then that's going to influence a lot of what you design. You know, my practice philosophy hasn't changed as a dad. I think about Ellie, my wife, and just sharing a personal anecdote. Ellie did baby-led weaning, so we never did like the... It's not to say you can't, I'm just sharing a story. We never did the purees. We never did the, you know, here's a spoon, shove it in the mouth, feed that. We actually did the baby-led weaning. So we had the kids where there'd be food presented. they decide what they want to eat, when they want to eat it. And finger and the, it's a bloody mess. The grandparents hated it because it created so much mess everywhere. In the end, if I'm being honest, I hated it because it was one hell of a clear-up job. But it was amazing. And they're putting it all over the face and they're developing the motor skills and the finger dexterity and the coordination and this, that and the other. And the learning that took place, and when I think about now, you know, raising them where it's like, here, you know, figure it out, solve your own problems, it's brilliant. Now, where I'll go with that story is, you know, I'm 100% confident nobody has gone up to a baby and said, put your hand here, do this, do that, and here's how you walk. We all pretty much sort of accept that it's a process. Some will walk at six months, 10 months, eight months, 14 months, whatever. They'll get there when they get there. But based on the environment, they'll figure it out quicker than others or if they've got a sibling or whatever. We sort of trust in the process, don't we? I think that's where my philosophy is even as a coach. It's, you know, you put this situation, this environment, and let's see what emerges. Let's observe what emerges and then go from there. And I think, you know, to flip side that, there'll be parents that micromanage everything, force feed the kids. They're there like, the, you know, some of the American parents on the swings. I see them with the hands out like, oh, no, what if he falls and hurts himself, you know, on the slide? You've got both extremes. You've got me over here where the kids are a mile away and I'm not bothered, let them figure it out. And they've got the other sea where they're like, they're ready to catch them when they fall. Both will still get there, won't they, As? And it's a bit like soccer. You could do technique drill 
or you could do emergent. Both will still get there, but probably the argument is is that if we create more environments that are variable, are we mm. preparing them for a, a better future where they can deal with unpredictability? That's my well. I, th- I think it comes. Yeah, no, I think it's a great point, and you know, just going back off even just that you know that little story that you shared about about the you know baby led weaning, right? They're still contesting with the same variables. They're still going to have the food. They're still going to have the quote unquote mess that might exist. They're still going to have to clean up. Like all of that stuff still takes place, and I think that's the piece that I'm trying to get really kind of nailed down here in that those variables won't change. So. The sooner we can get them to understand those variables, one that they they do exist, and it's not just for them; it's for everyone. Two, because they exist, we're going to have to understand what they are. And once we've got an understanding of what they are, then we can start to explore and understand how they actually impact on us or them as individuals. And when they get better at understanding those variables and how they actually then influence on them as individuals, then they can start coming up with different, you know movement solutions or just actions that can support them in getting their outcome which eventually like you you know i think like you've referred to quite well is where they develop their own techniques that actually then get looked at as well you know they must have been coached well no they were just allowed to explore and they had an understanding of i guess quote unquote the framework and with which within which they could explore and those frame that framework is based on those variables that they're going to have to contest with anyway so I think I I actually would counter it and say I'm not sure if everyone will eventually get there because or rather the ones who end up getting there um, and are probably able to stay there longer are those that are actually understanding the variables whereas the ones who are not really truly understanding the variables and are just given a technique to apply well when that technique goes left are they equipped well enough to be able to diagnose it themselves and understand where it could have gone wrong? And more specifically, when that coach who's given them that technique has gone left, well, what happens when the next coach comes in and says, do it differently? And this is it, isn't it? Think, That's the reality of coaching, well, isn't it? It's the limitations sometimes, isn't it? Oh, 110%. And I think, you know, with that being said, I think it's really important that, again, the biggest thing that I've probably learned in my journey and, and I'll finish on this is it's not about how we want it done. It's about how they figure how they figure out a way to do it. And as long as they get into their outcome, who cares? Who cares? Because I, and I can, I can, I, I go, always go back to this one example, Gerard, if you're Pep Guardiola and I'm Erling Haaland and I score 50 goals at the end of the season, are you going to care how I got them in? Probably not. Cause all you're looking at is the 50 goals. But then if you find out that actually every one of my 50 goals was scored with my right kneecap, are you going to tell me that's good technique or I need to develop it? And the bottom line is this, if I find a technique that works for me, no matter how unorthodox it may or may may not be, it's one that works and it's one that gets the job done. So why are we bothered about the fine detail around, oh, it should look like this, it should look like this. Well, mine came off looking like this and I still got my 50 goals. So... Who's in the right and who's in the wrong? And I think that's that's the beauty of this this piece, right, around coaching and whether it's goalkeepers or outfield players. Bottom line is this, are they getting the job done? And, you know, there is arguments to say, oh, they need to have the techniques first year, but how do you develop a technique without understanding the problem is, is the real question. And if you don't understand the problem well enough, 
how well do you understand what technique needs to be applied and when it needs to be applied? And then the subtleties that might exist within it. So I think as coaches, the challenge for me would be how good can you be at helping the players understand what those variables are that they are interacting with? And how well potentially do you understand what those variables are the players are interacting with? And then finally coming back to the piece around the observation of that, right? Are we observing it through our own experience or their eyes around what those through our eyes or their experience around what those variables may look or feel like for them? Go for it, Jared. No, you're spot on. I could listen to it all day. Obviously, it's going to fuel my biases, but you, you, you bang on. I just wanted to ask three rapid questions, mate, because there's a few that are coming in the chat, which is unbelievable, and one that's been sent to me directly, and I like it. So what's your thoughts on private one-to-one? -one? I know it's not part of this, but it's, it's semi-part of it, so just quick, because super quick answer, because my thing would be there's benefit, but I've seen a lot of people book one-to-one -one specialist coaching, goalkeeping, outfield players, everything. They're all outfielders, really. But some are just not good. It's more you're just filling up their pockets and they, they design all these ideal yeah. techniques and drills, but the kids aren't getting more adaptable. What, what's your thoughts? Money well spent or not? Um, on the general level, absolutely not. But I don't know how much detail you want to go into, but on the general level, quick fire arms is absolutely not. I think, I think a lot of people are just... Yeah, it's a, it's a money it's a money scheme. It's interesting, isn't it? So I think about I've done years of one to one training. I'm sure you will have. And if I look back, like there's been some good practices and there's been some good stuff. There'll have been a lot of stuff where it's you know for sure it's just it's are they really like is it making that big an impact? Unless it's regular, and even then, if it doesn't look like the game, is it really having a big impact? Is it really improving them? But that's a topic yeah, I mean the one in it. <laughs> The one, the one thing I always said, and before you go to the next question, is I think to truly do one-to-one -one coaching, um, which would technically be, in many respects, uh, unopposed, unrealistic, is actually a very, very skillful job to be able to do in order for it to have true impact, in my opinion. No, you're spot on. I think about one of the better sessions I did recently, one-to-one, -one, was with one of the lads at, um, he's, he's signed pro with the first team, he's with SKC2, good practice, but that's took me how many years, nearly two decades to get to a level where I thought, yeah, that's not a bad one. Um, but there's no guarantee that these kids are still going to, you know, there's a lot of parents that pay a lot of money because they want the kid, they want the best for the kid, we all do, right? We want the best, as a dad, you want the best for your kid. And they want them to go pro, but the reality is, it's not gonna. The the not. They're never gonna do it. They're never gonna make it. You can have all the one-to-one -one training in the world. They're still never gonna do it. So, I know it's a topic for another day, but just wanted to throw it out there. And then I've had a couple others. So, um, Natasha, would you say goalkeeper training should be different in terms of traditional versus non not traditional, depending on the age? I mean, I just said, irrespective of age, my practice design philosophy is all about variability and unpredictability. Um, and then I will dampen yeah. or increase that, depending on the skill of the players, right? Because you can't go too complex, and obviously kids are lost, they're fragile out there. But if you were to watch me put on a session with the six-year-olds to 18-year-olds, there's probably a constant golden thread that is, it's game-based, they're playing, they're given challenges, there's variability, but there's a lot of play, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah, I think... Um... I probably very much agree with you in many respects. And I think <clears throat> if I go back to even even just working with Alpha players, yeah, as young as four, I'll throw them into a 1v1. 
put them straight into a game. No technical work, just play a game. <clears throat> and I think straight away that probably gives you a bit of an insight around where I would go with this as well. Right. Same same thing applies. And the last one, mate, because it's a good one, Charlie's put, would it be beneficial for more outfield coaches to get more training on coaching goalkeepers, give them more understanding of how to implement them into your sessions? I'd love to get your thoughts on that, mate. Uh uh, 110%. I mean, my recommendation to anyone that I've ever tutored on a UAFC course or a level two course, even a level one course, go and do your level one goalkeeping if it's available. Go and do your goalkeeping level two if it's available. Obviously, both those courses have now been amalgamated into one as part of the national goalkeeping course. Go and do that. Go and do that because actually you'll understand how to bring everything together. And I think... One of the things I said say about my own journey, you know, I did my level two goalkeeping award after I completed my outfield level two, um, and it probably was the best qualification I did at the time, and to, especially in terms of prep, preparing me for the next level in terms of going on to the outfield UA for B as well. So that, and then I think overall the best course I've done, <clears throat> probably alongside the advanced youth award, is probably actually the goalkeeping B license. Just you know, an understanding of how to go, how to integrate a goalkeeper into the team, both from a technical tactical standpoint, and just the finer things that you then have to consider as a goalkeeper as well. So I think definitely take a step into it, embark on that journey. It doesn't mean you're going to become, become a goalkeeping coach, and you might even end up you know, similar to me, where you say I'm not a goalkeeping coach, I'm just a football coach with an understanding how to work with outfield and goalkeepers. And I think that's probably. Um, a great place to go for goal for outfield outfield goalkeeping coaches or outfield coaches who want to understand how to better support their goalkeepers. I couldn't say it better myself. I don't think there's enough of us that do it. I think there's a lot of coaches that, if they're being honest, they're not, they may be scared or they just feel like oh, I don't know. It's not really my bag. But then they'll still be quite critical, as we spoke about before, right? And they'll be making judgments on, oh, he could have saved it here, or he shouldn't have said. You know what I mean? I'd say 100% was you do as much education as you can. Luckily, the UA4C talks briefly about how we integrate goalkeepers and it goes from there, as you know, with the new courses. Um, and interestingly, on the UA4C, just to throw this one out there, there's not a prescription on, and I'm talking about the UA4C, not the goalkeeper national course, which is technically now at the UA4C level, right? It has that national goalkeeping one that feeds into the goalkeeper UA4B. I'm talking about the UA4C, which was replaced the old level two. There's no actual specific of, here's the correct technique and here's how you say this and I want you to tell you key. I still remember Adrian Tucker, I worked with in Morocco. And I've known Tux for years. He's one of the national goalkeeper coaches with England. And uh, Tux uh, was the director of goalkeeping in Morocco. And he presented uh, when we were at the FA thing. You were probably there as well, Yaz, you know, with the UEFA-C stuff getting rolled out a couple of years ago. And uh, he basically said, I don't want you telling coaches to tell <laughs> their goalkeepers, here's the correct technique on how you say this or is that. But I want you to think about how you're integrating them in the practice, whether the target players, whether they're inside, whether they're on the outside, what challenges they're getting, what type of services they're getting, how are they playing into people or beyond where they play design environments where they get to solve problems and you can give them a couple of tips but really we're not prescribing any ideal technique that's not your role but your role is have a think about how we're integrating them in the practice and we're designing problems for them to solve and I thought that's brilliant because at the UEFA-C level you can't do any damage and that's probably something that should go on throughout for me at every level is 
actually, how are we designing problems for them to solve? Are they a, a goalkeeper's looking for information to recognise when to make that judgment of coming out or not, closing the angle or not, getting ready or not? What you know what I mean? Like, how do you make those decisions? Well, we've got to put them in decision making practices. One hundred percent. I think the only way you're going to do that, coming back to my earlier point, is literally design practices which are game realistic. Because if they're not, even in those moments when they're not, you know, when they're understanding when to come out, when not to come out, if they're doing it in unrealistic practices, it's never going to transfer itself into a game. No matter how much you want to argue the point, if it's not realistic, what relevance has it got? No, all we're doing is just creating bad habits, aren't we, really? Bad habits and, and building false confidence and people always are always, always good for their confidence. Well, it's not really because when they realise that what they've been working on is, is pointless, you just set them probably back another 50 miles. Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting because that's opened up another... And I know we'll unpack this in more spaces, but I want, I'm going to share this with my goalkeeper coaches because I'm sure they'll, they'll pepper me for it, and rightly so, it's good. Um, I know that a lot of coaches, you, they've come through a belief that they believe, hey, it's got to be done this way. And probably what you've just said and I've said and what we've shared will challenge that thinking. Um, but that's a good place to be, I think. Because if we, if we actually design environments where we ask ourselves more questions, we're holding ourselves more accountable versus, hey, no, this is how it is and I'm sticking to my beliefs and that's it. Well, if we were to really push you on, well, what's really underpinning that? And can you show us the evidence? What what's your answer then? You know what I mean? And I think that's where we've got to get to as coaches. If you've got a strong rationale for why you do what you do, then fair play. 100%. Gerard, just a final one, just to um, remind everyone, obviously this is a, a CPD accredited space. Um, you can get an, up to an hour CPD for each of the spaces that we do on the weekends. Um, the deadline for this current series would be the, uh, the 29th of Feb, I believe. Um, but Gerard, if you just want to share some insights on how they can access that. I'm going to drop in the chat now the questionnaire, so that way people can complete the self-reflection form, and then that, that way they're eligible for one-hour CPD. Obviously, we've gone over, probably because we love it. It's good that we're giving it justice, because often goalkeeper topics, it's like, oh, yeah, there's, you know, stop the ball, <laughs> do this, do that, yeah, crack on, right, done. So we've actually given it a bit of justice and we've got a little bit over which is good um it shows that we care so and i love the interaction from andy and you know the questions that have been flooded in there's a lot of comments in the chat so that's what we want so i'll share in the group chat now the self-reflection form uh what you'll complete post module and that's for the space for tonight and then again you know if anyone has any questions feel free to reach out to us even myself or yaz this is part of the fa cpd series leading into the webinar that we've got uh, this month, Yaz, which is going to be awesome. I don't know if you want to stop by that webinar. Yeah, just really quickly, really. Obviously, you know, every, every month myself and Joe put a series together um, on different themes, different topics. And obviously, this month's theme is around developing the goalkeeper. Um, so, Gerard and I will be putting together a webinar, I believe, um, on the 29th of February, um, Thursday the 29th. Um, it will be 6 p.m. or 6, is it 6 p.m.? 6.45, I think it is actually, Gerard, um, UK time. So please feel free to kind of uh, follow our pages, check that out. Um, we'll share some more information on that over the next couple of days as well. 
But um, in between that, every Sunday, we've obviously got these spaces sessions, which you can get an hour CPD for. And um, obviously, these are free to attend. The webinar would be uh, booking only. But if you can't make the date itself to be in the live presentation, um, no worries. You can still book on and we can give you an on-demand access um, following the completion of that date. Um, and that's pretty much it from me, Gerard. And I think there's, you know, I'm just really pleased to see there's so many new faces in the room. Um, hopefully continue growing the community and I think it's just really positive to see so many people engaging with us. Well there you have it guys, another episode of the Coaches Network Podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Network. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.